You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Roadkill. A man is driving on a deserted road and comes to see a man on the side of the road with a flat tire. The driver stops his car and offers the help. When he is done, the grateful man asks him for his address to send him a reward for helping him. The helpful man declines and declines, but finally gives in. Then both men get in their cars and drive off. Two weeks later, the man receives a letter in the mail that says, Thank you for helping me. Here's a little something to say thanks. Signed, Donald Trump. Inside is a check for $10,000. Another story. An auto mechanic who specialized in BMWs was driving on Interstate 5 and spotted a BMW on the shoulder of the road with the driver standing beside it. The mechanic stopped and asked if there was anything he could help with. The driver thanked him and explained that he had called BMW's roadside assistance line and was now just waiting for the BMW person to show up. The mechanic offered his business card and explained that he specialized in repairing BMWs, again offering to see if he could help with no obligation. Perhaps he could save the driver a long wait. He insisted and finally was allowed to look at the car. He found nothing more than a loose wire, reattached it, and the car was fine. The driver turned out to have been Bill Gates. Mysteriously, the mechanic's house mortgage was fully paid up the next week. You know, there's amazing things that happen out there. These people aren't heroes. They're just people that stop and want to help somebody. And occasionally some bizarre things happen as a result of that. But clearly in these stories, and I think anybody who helps anybody else, when you do it out of your heart, you know, you see these guys that rush in and rescue somebody from a fire or something. Everybody wants to turn them into a hero. And they stand there and go, you know, this is what anybody should do. This is just the right thing to do. And there's a story in the New Testament it is somewhat similar to this. It's in uh, the book of Luke. Some people know it as the story of the Good Samaritan. But I think if you ask the Samaritan, if you could interview him after this incident and say, uh, well, man, we're calling you the Good Samaritan. I think, you know, I'm just kind of a normal Samaritan. Isn't this kind of what anybody would do? Why am I all of a sudden so great or good or all this hype about me? But let's look at Luke chapter 10. Let's read you the, the background before this story and then the story and uh, hopefully take a little twist on it you haven't seen today. It says in verse 25, Luke 10, 25, And behold, a certain lawyer. Now, this is not an attorney, okay? Like, you know, there aren't any attorneys in the Bible that I know of, and there's probably a reason for that. So, no, I'm not anti-attorneys, but this guy is not an attorney like we know it. He is a lawyer in, a, in the sense of a religious guy. He knows the Old Testament, the Scriptures, inside and out. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to religious things. So he obviously is here with Jesus. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. So there must have been people seated around Jesus. This guy stands up, which tells me something about him right there. You know, how are y'all? Just want to let you know I'm here. I'm about to ask Jesus a question. Stands up, and this is not a question that he wants an answer for. He wants to test Jesus to kind of push Jesus a little bit and see if he can corner him. So he says to Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I want to live forever. Now remember, this is before Jesus died on the cross. The Old Testament applies at this point. This guy knows the Old Testament. Jesus knows the Old and the New Testament. He is the Scriptures. He's known it from before the beginning of time. 
So this guy says, my question is, how do I inherit? How do I get a hold of eternal life? And a lot of people have this question, so it was a good question. Jesus said to him, verse 26, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? You know the law. You're the lawyer here. You're the scholar. What does it say? The guy answers him, verse 27. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So he goes right back to the right answer. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, verse 28, said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. And what was the question? How you live eternally? He says, do that and you'll live. Now let me tell you something. Unless you want a story or an answer, don't ask questions after you get an answer. Because this guy messed up big time. But there's a reason why he comes back and keeps talking. Jesus just answered his questions, do this and you'll live. Verse 29, but he, this lawyer, wanting to justify himself. Now this is where we get in trouble. Because Jesus hit a point, he said, what does the law say? The guy answered it and somehow the guy must have gotten under conviction somehow because he's like, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus told me to answer it, I did, and I think what messed him up was, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now guys, my personal opinion when I read the scripture is this, that most of the world is trying to do the second piece of what he answered without the first. And our problem in general is that we do just that. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and know that He loves you first, and because of that you have a love for Him, then if God can love you, you must be able to love yourself. Then you start loving your neighbor as yourself. Things start working there. But if you don't know God loves you, and you don't love Him, and you start loving your neighbor as yourself, you're in trouble. Now even if you figured, and I don't think this guy had figured the first piece out, or he wouldn't ask the second piece. Because neighbor can be defined in a lot of different ways. And I've commented on this before. There are churches that advertise that everyone is welcome. But if you really stop and ask the question, how do you define everyone? That's the difference. You know, who is your neighbor? Who does this extend to? Well, this guy knows he's not doing what Jesus has gotten him involved in this conversation about. Jesus saying, okay, what is it? He answers it. And somehow inside he's going, oh, my neighbor thing. I got this neighbor problem. And so he comes back to Jesus, and this is where he put his foot in his mouth. Not Jesus, but this lawyer. Verse 29, But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And he got himself in a lot of trouble here. Because who is his neighbor? Then Jesus, verse 30, answered and said, He starts telling a story to this guy. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves. Now let me tell you this, for I think it's about 17, 19 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it drops. When the Bible says he went down to Jericho, it's a drop in elevation, I think of about 3,000 feet. I mean, it's a steep deal. If you go there, you drive down there, it's raw terrain, just rocks, unless it's the rainy season. And so there's plenty of places if you're going down to Jericho for thieves to hide out. So this guy is going a simple day's journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it says he fell among thieves. So they jump him and look what they did to him. Who stripped him of his clothing. And it's the same word if you go back and read about Jesus when they stripped him to crucify him. When you strip somebody, you leave them naked. Okay. So they find this guy, they beat him up, they strip his clothes off. And they depart, leaving him half dead, waiting for the other half to kick in. So here's this guy, pretty much left his roadkill on the side of this road from Jerusalem to Jericho to die. Verse 31, now by chance, 
a certain priest. Now, I don't want anybody to hear these words, oh, priest. Well, now he's, you know, he's going to slam Catholicism. Priests back then were Jewish priests that worked in the synagogue. It's not about Catholicism. These guys were priests who worked in Jerusalem. So this guy's coming down this road. Now, this is a religious person. Ought to be the ultimate example of what should happen in this situation, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho on the same path. By chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, now let me tell you something, guys, he saw him. And I kind of almost want to title this thing onlooker traffic. Why is it that onlooker traffic, the side of the road where the wreck is, is backed up because of the wreck. But the other side of the road just is backed up for no other reason but to stop and gawk and see if there's some blood, if somebody's dying or dead or half dead or, oh my gosh, I want to see something terrible. And then we see it and go, oh, I can't believe I looked at that. And we just drive off like, why did I stop? But everybody stops and looks. So this priest is going down this road by chance, and he saw him. Here is a man lying there on the side of the road, naked, beat up, half dead, not doing well at all, obviously. The priest sees him and passes by on the other side. You walk up on this thing, you see him, and the guy just literally goes and says, i got to keep going, too busy. Now this is not like it's a busy highway, because we see a couple of guys, two or three guys will show up. This is like cars going by. You're dying there moaning, laying there moaning and groaning and half dead, and somebody comes by, and you're, you know, if you're hit that hard, you're probably praying anyway. There's a good chance this guy's a Jewish guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho anyway. He's laying there, oh God, help me. I mean, what else would you do laying there if you're half dead? And finally, you hear his footsteps, somebody's coming, and if he can see, kind of look up, it's a priest. I've made it. I'm going to be okay. And the priest somehow looks over, sees him. Maybe there's no other witnesses, so nobody will know. The guy's going to die anyway. Let it go and passes on by. Verse 32, another guy comes down the road. Likewise, a Levite. Now, the Levites were assistants to the priests. So if the priests can't get it right, maybe the assistant priests will help it. These guys that help the priests. So a Levite, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place coming down the road, came and looked and passed by on the other side. He saw him too. Now, Jesus is not telling this religious guy this story for nothing. And whether it is a true story that Jesus knew of or he is creating this story to make a point, he puts in the story on purpose a priest and a Levite trying to say to this legal expert of the law, the religious law, the first two guys like you, big boy, didn't stop. The people who knew to stop, should have stopped, were the ones, if anybody was going to stop, would have been it, are the ones that should have stopped and they did not stop. And the reason I'm going through this today, guys, for my sake and our sake, is there are too many situations, too many times, too many places, when we as God's people, if anybody on the planet is going to stop, ought to be those people. And we pass by on the other side. Because we don't want to get involved. We don't want to get messed up. We don't want to get our fingernails dirty. Or God forbid they would break. Something happened bad. Now look at how he goes on. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan... Now, I've been trying to figure out some way to communicate to you how unbelievable this is that a Samaritan comes along. And let's read what he does, and I'll try to explain it. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, whichever way he was going, doesn't say, came where he was, same thing happens. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, in my opinion, that is where the whole story turns. But even if you have compassion, passion is one thing. Oh, we ought to save the world. Compassion makes you do something. This guy sees him and has compassion, and look what he does. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, 
and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, it doesn't say here whether this guy who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho is a Jew, a Samaritan, what he is. But if this guy who's been beat up and left half dead is a Jew, this Samaritan, it's like a Palestinian today stopping to help a Jew. It would be that unbelievable. You'd say, you know what? Literally, to hell with him. Let him die. Hope he burns in hell. They hated each other. And if it's just another Samaritan, it's the right thing to do. But this guy just does the right thing. But let me tell you something. When you do the right thing, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to be messy. Getting involved with people's lives is messy stuff. And you'll end up places doing things you never thought you would and didn't think you could. But once you get there, you go, wow, what if I had missed out on this? What if I had not gotten involved with this person's life? And I know we can go in this room and there are people involved. And part of the reason I'm going through this today is that we're trying to, as a church, if there's such a thing as a policy in regard to people with needs, we have to have some accountability when it comes to reaching out to people. But we've got to reach out to people. And we got people, if you go out in the suburbs somewhere where everybody's got plenty of money and if they got psychiatric problems or depression or something, they just go hire them a doctor, sit in some sessions, and nobody knows what's going on. You get downtown in the middle of this thing, you got trouble. And for some reason, we're like trouble magnets. And people know that this is a real church with real people. And if you're struggling with something, you can come in and work through it. But when those people come and say, let's work through it, it's messy stuff. Some of them have been left for half dead by somebody. They've been run over run around, left on their own, and nobody's cared, and they think, maybe this place will help. And when we move to help them, it's going to take time. There's a ramp up. Maybe we ought to create some kind of spiritual ICU and put people in the ICU and say, you know what? These people are fragile. They're half dead. We got them barely in here. We're going to have to monitor them and watch them and help them because if we don't stay with them for a certain period of time till they get back on their feet where they feel whole and healthy and can breathe and walk and talk on their own, they're going to get hit again and go down again. There won't be anybody to help them. But this is not easy work. It's time-consuming, messy stuff, and people have problems. And you take somebody who's been in the world, they've been out there living and sleeping with everything that moves and doing any drug they can find or drinking. I mean, we got some messed up people out there. And you say, well, I don't know any of those people. You know what? You're not breathing then. You haven't been out of the house in a long time because people are everywhere with challenges, unbelievable challenges. So you got to make up your mind. Are you going to be a spectator? Are you going to come in and just look and, ooh, ooh, that looks messy. We'll let the professionals handle that. You know what? Jesus said the professionals didn't handle it. They walked by. And some guy, just some guy, some certain Samaritan comes by, and he sees him, has compassion, and he bandages his wounds. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you something. We've had people come in here that have not ozones, but odor zones. I'm going to be very, very honest. I've told this somewhere along the way. We've had people come in off the street who haven't had a bath and have a radius. They're in the room, and you know it. They're not drunk. They're not rude. They're polite. You say, what is that smell? I don't think I... They shouldn't let people like that in church. You stink too. What are you doing here? You say, well, I don't stink. Maybe not under the arm. Maybe your life stinks. How'd you get in here? Maybe they don't look right. Maybe they don't smell right. Maybe they don't know how to say the right words and play the game. Maybe they cuss a little still. Maybe they're still gay. Maybe they're still alcoholics. Maybe their marriage isn't working out. You go, oh, I don't want my children around people like that. You know what? I want my children living in the real world with a real Jesus who changes lives where they see that process. And they discover that God can take somebody from darkness and move them to light. And take them from death and move them to light. And from the power of Satan to the power of God. You can't do this playing church. You just can't do it. 
And I'm going to tell you guys, you're going to get tested. You're going to get out there on that road, and you're going to walk down that road, and you're going to come across people. And when the Holy Spirit of God moves in you and says, now, it's going to get messy. And when you've got to get down and get in people's wounds and bandage up their wounds, it's not a pretty sight. Sometimes it's horrific. Sometimes it's gruesome. Sometimes it's terrible to even hear about or look at. But there's nobody else on that road except you. You've got to get your hands in there and take the time. It takes time. Keep reading with me here, verse 33. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, putting on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn. And I'm telling you guys, these last four words of verse 34 are what this is all about. And took care of him. And everything in me as a human being, as a selfish human being at least, says, I don't have time. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to take care of anybody else. I can't even take care of myself. I don't want to think about any more people's problems. I, don't, I just want to have a happy life. Just leave me alone. Send those people somewhere else. And unfortunately, it's the religious people on this planet and their churches that that's exactly what they do. Somebody comes in with problems, they go, oh, sir, we know a great place for you. And they send them to us because we don't want to take care of anybody. It might get messy. And they might relapse. And their marriage may fall apart. And their kids may get in trouble. And somebody might get pregnant and not be married. And then what are we going to do? He took care of him. Now, Somewhere between verse 34 and 35, a night passes. This guy's on his trip. He's found some guy beaten up. Everything stops. Now, let me tell you something. If you're not prepared for inconvenience, you're in trouble with this. You got your nice little plan and your business plan and your life plan and your vacation plan, all this stuff. And God says, everybody stop. We got a problem. We got a need. And the Holy Spirit clearly moves and says, it's your turn now. And everybody stops. Is it convenient? No. Is it necessary? Yes. Will it cost you? Yes. Is there a benefit from it? Unbelievably so. And you stop. This guy had to stop his trip, put himself up in a hotel, put this guy up in a hotel, and didn't probably get him his own room, stayed up with him all night, took care of him. Verse 35 says, On the next day, when he finally did depart, he departed. He took out two denarii, and a denarii was about a day's wage. So two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. I'm giving you cash money. I've paid, I've been here, I'm giving you two denarii more, two days worth cover, I gotta go somewhere, come back, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, when I get back, I'll repay you. I'm paying you money up front, and when I get back, if there's more that you've spent to take care of this guy, I'll cover it when I get back. So Jesus then looks to this lawyer in verse 36 and says, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Jesus says, all right, love your neighbors yourself, and you wanna know who the neighbor is? Who's your neighbor? That's who your neighbor is. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, and go and do likewise. And guys, I'm telling you, he didn't just say it to that lawyer. He's saying it today to me and to you, and it's not going away. And I don't ever try to run people off, but I'm telling you, I am not going to be a part of a church, and I don't think I am already. But if you come here and just want to sit and soak and be satisfied with some nice music and somebody give a cute little sermon once a week, this is not your place. We are going to get in these trenches and we're making mistakes while we try to do it because people come and we don't know what we're doing sometimes and we give them money and they panhandle and work us. You know what? God will figure all that out. We're going to get good at this without losing compassion. And it's not just street people, homeless people. We got poor people within walking distance of this building 
hundreds and hundreds of them. And we have people who walk in and that we work around, that we live around, who are not physically battered and wounded. They are emotionally, they are spiritually just destroyed. They've had tragedies happen in their life, and they look up and go, God, where are you? Why do you let these things happen? What kind of God are you? Let babies die. Wives die giving birth to children. Where are you? And they come in here and they want some answers and they're mad and they're frustrated and they're depressed and it's going to take some time to figure it out and we've got to gently sit with them and care for them until they get it and it makes more sense and they begin to trust God and they're on their way again and can be in a place to help somebody else get it. This is not instant Christianity, instant process. It's a long haul process and it takes time, it takes effort, it takes mercy, it takes compassion, it takes some accountability. It takes some responsibility. I'll grant you that. But it's going to cost you. It's not really money you spend. It's not just time you spend. It's money you invest in somebody's life and in the kingdom of God, and it comes back. I can promise you it comes back. And I, I can't think of, haven't heard of, never found any better way to live. It's time to stop driving by this roadkill and stop and help them. Because if we don't, who will? And if somebody hadn't for me or for you, where would you be? Richard Ellis will return in a moment to wrap up today's talk with a few final words. But first, I want to share some important information about the program. The reason we do this is to share with you the good news. When you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So if you've been on this road for a while or just getting started, let us know how we can help. Maybe you've got some questions, stuck in neutral, or even wondering how to take the next breath. We're here. Give us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. We're here to celebrate with you too. So if this program has made a difference to you and encouraged you in any way, tell us about it. Let's keep this conversation going by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also send us an email through our website, richardellistalks.com. That would really make our day to know how Richard's talks have helped you. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or email us through the website, richardellistalks.com. And speaking of the messages, you can find today's talk along with every message from Richard at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we really believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute to this ministry by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. We would be so grateful for your gifts. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so patient with us me included, Lord. It's so much easier to chase a bunch of religious stuff and memorize some stuff. And all that's not bad, Lord, used for the right reasons. But we got all the acting like a Christian down. And there is really no stage. It isn't a play. It's real life. And we need to learn how to live like Christians, Lord. And we'll never do that unless we learn to follow you, to stay close to you, to listen to you, to talk to you, to have and develop a relationship with you. So first of all, Lord, for the people who don't even have a relationship, they've been chasing you and realize that it's you that's been chasing them, really. And they're willing to say, okay, God, I realize I can't live this life without you. I get it now. I've screwed up. I am screwed up. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. 
I believe that Jesus died on that cross, was buried and raised from the dead to give me eternal and abundant life, to offer me the forgiveness of my sins, free of charge, eternal life, free of charge. It's all a gift. I accept. I receive these gifts and I take them. Come live in me and through me. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was raised from the dead. I've got an answer now for life, death, everything in between. I pray that out of that relationship I have with you, that when you give me the opportunity, give me the boldness, the courage, just to be a witness, just to give my testimony and how you have changed my life. Lord, I pray that you'd use each one of these listening today, whether it's at work, with their own family, with a complete stranger, Lord, broken down in a store, whenever you prompt, may just one time, Lord, when we're prompted, we say, yes, sir, on the first ask and lay down our desires, our selfishness, whatever it is that keeps us from you and from that person, Lord, and simply obey and realize that you're working on both sides and that someone's life is literally at stake. Father, you're the best. Thank you for waiting for us as we attempt to follow you and not running off and just leaving us. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.